welcome brother to the program thanks for making some time to be here of course it's really my honor jimmy i've been uh you know missing you not just as a friend but have always really been excited to be on your podcast eventually so i'm glad the day's finally here yeah man <laughs> much anticipated uh exclusive and normally we do our shows at noon uh, but we're doing a late night edition, so late night with JBK for this taping. Uh, we're coming to you a day after the 2022 midterms, and and Michael works as a news producer uh, for WNDU. And Michael, uh, let me begin how we know each other. Uh, we know each other as classmates at UND, and let's start there. What kind of brought you to uh, wanting to be a Greyhound with your college decision? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to do in high school. I knew where my interests were. And the start of my sophomore year, my best friend, Nick, he and I were hanging out and he said, you should try to get into journalism with me. And I was like, well, what, what is it? And he said, we do the school paper and we mostly just screw around for like the entire hour and then write the articles at the last minute. I said, that sounds pretty fun. So I got into it. And he was in there with a couple other real good friends of mine. And then the teacher happened to be a family friend who I grew up around. And I just fell in love with it. Just right from the get-go, it was so much fun. And I remember halfway through that first semester, I asked our teacher, I said, Mrs. Smith, is this what being a real journalist is like? Because before becoming a teacher, she worked for the Goshen News, which is one of the newspapers up here. And she said, yeah, pretty much. You're having fun with people, the smartest people you'll ever meet, and you're getting paid to write about it. And from then, I was just sold. So that's what got me into news. And then, you know, a year later, I was looking at Ball State, IU, obviously the two big journalism schools in Indiana. And that same best friend who got me into news in the first place was like, I think I'm going to go to this place called UND. I was like, oh, why? And he said, I don't know. I just like the sound of it. And that was <laughs> enough for me to go to UND too. So we, and he and I are still best friends, talk just about every day. And he's the one that got me to UND. And I'm so glad that I wound up choosing it just because of him. Right. Because now not only are he and I bonded through life, you know, you and I are too. And that's right. we just had such a great program of just great interaction. I mean, a few other people that I know say that they talk so often with their old professors at the level that you and I can. And it's yeah. because UND is a special place. And I'm just honored that I got to be a part of it and that I still am. Yeah, man. I mean, when I uh, applied for, for college, UND was the only place that I even file the application <laughs> so right. you know thankfully I got accepted and ultimately it worked out pretty well but we know a lot of journalists and we'll get into uh, the midterm elections because that's an ongoing thing as we're talking but right. I, I know plenty of folks that we went to school with that were talented journalists and they simply couldn't afford it to do it I mean it's it's sort of a I realize now in the era of COVID and how the world has changed over the past several years that being a journalist is a privilege. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're spot on with saying that with it is being a privilege. And that's something I think of pretty often. Yeah. I'm very blessed to be able to afford to be a reporter. 
and that's a funny way to look at it right like i am able to do this and i'm blessed to have the the financial ability to do it because like you said a lot of people it it just can't pay the bills and that's a shame because we need more reporters and we need better reporters not saying that what you're paid always automatically equals your worth but that's definitely a big draw and i think we are suffering from a pretty big brain drain when it comes to people just not being able to afford to keep doing this well and you're from elkhart originally aren't you i am i am and so, cost of living up here is obviously a lot better than it is down in indy and our studio is in south bend so i'm just 20 minutes from there so it's yeah. really the home region the whole region here has a pretty good cost of living but that's not always the case everywhere and that's a shame well i was gonna ask you know I, i'm originally from carmel so that you know going to und was not too much of a drive for me but co coming oh. from elkhart i mean how much of an adjustment was that for you and, and for your parents i mean it, it seemed like you had a pretty close bond with your family uh was that the case when you when you left for college that Oh, oh no, <laughs> uh, you know, he's going to be a few hours away. I mean, that's that's somewhat of a distance. Absolutely. And that's honestly another one of the reasons why I decided to go with you, Indy, was that it was far enough away that I'd be on my own, but nev never too far that if it really hit the fan, I was all that far away. And I do remember that first adjustment was tough. Mm -hmm. I remember move-in day really clearly. I had never seen my dad cry before mm. and he started tearing up and then I started tearing up. So we went out to eat at Burger King and we stuffed our feelings down and <laughs> that's how we dealt with that. But it was definitely a big transition, but I'm so glad I did because Indy is the perfect sized city. It's not too big, but there's always something going on, always something new to get into. Well, and one thing that I think I took away from our education at UND is that you don't have to know the answer, but you have to know how to find the answer. Yeah. Um, how important is that when it comes to being a journalist, especially with misinformation, like confirming information and knowing that it's accurate is so mm -hmm. important in 2022? Oh, 100%. It's funny you mentioned that. I just had that conversation with one of our I'll use my term and understand okay. that it's it's a it's a Michaelism, and I mean no disrespect, but it is said with love with one of our baby reporters who's straight out of school. And I told her today, I, you know, I'm running on two hours of sleep at this point, and I told her, I don't want to know everything. I'm glad that I don't know everything. I thank God every day that I don't know everything because there's so much out there to learn, and life is never boring because of that. And I think that you put it perfectly that you Wendy taught us to look for those answers and how to figure out those answers and look at okay where's this information coming from what kind of filter does that put it through right what does that mean what kind of agenda might the person putting that information out have and what do I need to be mindful of one of my favorite examples of why I love being in the news came last night at election night when it was midnight and I None of us were able to go home yet. Mm -hmm. And I asked my assignment editor the same question four times until finally he was like, are you okay? I was like, no, I'm not okay. I'm <laughs> on two hours of sleep. 
but I it was that reminder that you don't have to know the answers and it's okay to be it's okay to be stupid for a minute and get checked out and be like wait am I doing this right because one of my other favorite sayings is they never remember if you're first but they always remember if you're wrong so have everyone look it over even if they even if they give you an eye roll or like really that's not what matters. What matters is that you're serving the people, you're doing your job, and you're making sure the right information goes out. Well, and this has been the case, at least in the last three election cycles. Of mm-hmm. course, Indiana was the first state to report. <laughs> you right. know, so we can get that pain out of the way of knowing <laughs> of knowing where the state stands. Um, definitely, definitely. You know, what, one thing that I know you are aware of, uh, at least from the teachers that tried to instill some knowledge into us, I think the media system itself is kind of corrupted by money at this point. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to, this guy has done terrific work and took down President Nixon, but when you have Bob Woodward recording information with the President of the United States six months in advance and it goes to be published so that Mm -hmm. he can make money, I realize the President of the United States has the power, but don't journalists have a responsibility to report these things and get it out in the open before making their cash? Well, I, I would agree. And the situation is so difficult, right? right? Because like you mentioned earlier, we talk about how tough it is to make a living at this. And I want to refine that statement before I go on any further. You can absolutely make a living and a good living at doing this, but right. it is a little tougher. But that being said, right like you said you do have to balance that what are the pros and cons at what point do we go forward because there's a bigger thing at play for that example the health of the republic right versus what can we hold on to and use as a business advantage and that's what i love and what i think a lot of people hate about what we do though is that no two day are alike and no two conversations are alike where you make a decision right and that sets a precedent but then you're faced with a similar situation a week later and it's like well we have to have a whole new conversation even though we feel like we just went through this yeah and that's again like i said what i love and what i hate about it because sometimes you just need to make a gut a gut call on something and other times you do have to sit down for 20 minutes and hash it out in the newsroom so yeah well and, and i think another problem you would run into as a news producer especially in an era of of uh, partisan news and cable news being the first place that a lot of people go um news shouldn't invoke feelings i mean mm-hmm. it should deliver information first mm-hmm. uh is is that the case I, I would i would hope that's the case at least at smaller stations because when you look at the cable networks it really is two different worlds with what they're talking about right right and that's the thing about the the networks right it, and it's scary honestly yeah but what keeps me going is the knowledge that like you said we're delivering information mm-hmm. and I think one example I can give is back in September, I had the chance to go to Florida for a seminar for news producing, and it was a blast. And we talked about how back in the good old days, you wore your station shirt or jacket out and about with pride Mm -hmm. 
and no one does that anymore. But out of this group of 20, I raised my hand and I said, I still do that because I, for three reasons. The first being, I grew up watching WNDU. I love WNDU. I work with the morning show anchors that I grew up watching when I was in preschool. I write scripts in the evening for the anchors I grew up watching when I'd get home from preschool. And that's a really cool, special thing. Secondly, I am proud of where I work. And honestly, the jacket just is warm. And sometimes I'm just cold and I can't find any of my other jackets. But then finally, I know I will get one of three reactions. More than likely, no, someone will see it and not care. Mm-hmm. The second one is they see it and they're like, oh, you work at WNDU? That's awesome. And they'll list off their favorite segments. They'll say, I remember when Terry had his consumer reports thing and he'd try chainsaws. Or I remember when Maureen did the medical moment and she showed how heart transplants work. And then the third one is sometimes you do get that negative confrontation, right? But I see that as a chance to be like, hey, man, I get it. Times are tough. We're all frustrated. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, I'm not I'm, I'm not the big bad that you think I am. I'm your neighbor. You and me go to church together. Here I am shopping at the same Kroger that you are. Right. And it's that chance for that soft contact to remind folks that, there is no big single evildoer group, you know. It's it, it's not it's not a Marvel movie. It's like, and and I I have hit someone with that sometimes. I got accused of being a a Russian agent by a phone caller once, <laughs> and I had to lay down with the right the the sir. This is a Wendy's. Only I hit him with the sir. I make thirty six thousand dollars a year. The calls you think I'm making, the influence you think I have, I do not have. Right. And he, that, uh, he was like, oh, I said, yes, but I can get you the number of the people you think you have the problem with. And at that point, I gave him the uh, the White House number. <laughs> well, that's where his real complaint went. I've asked uh, journalists this before, just because I think it's a reality of, of being out in the field, especially. Um, do you fear for your safety being a member of the media, knowing that the president of the United States called us enemies of the people? You know, that's a fantastic question. And I think I'm in a very fortunate place being that, you know, my market is market number 98, by no means the biggest market, by no means the smallest market. But we've got a population of about 300,000 up here. But despite that, it's very much a, a small town, hometown feel. So at no point have I ever felt in danger. Obviously, as you know, that's a, a market to market reporter to reporter type of question. Right. But no, I've never felt any danger. Even when I was working in uh, Indianapolis, I, I never really felt any kind of danger. But of course, that is kind of in the back of your mind, knowing that there are plenty of people who do think like that guy I talked to on the phone, for example, who believe these crazy conspiracies that I'm maybe a lizard person or I'm, again, a Russian agent or I'm a demon-worshipping monster, anything crazy. And you understand how if the wrong person gets the wrong ideas in their heads, 
you don't always know what they're going to do. Let's go back to um, published media. Because one, one publication that I thought was really important to the Indianapolis culture scene was uh, Nubo. You know, mm-hmm. Chooch was featured in Nubo several times. And people say that, you know, it's a bottom line business. It needs to make profit. We all understand that's how this world works. But isn't newspapers aren't they meant to be sort of a record of what happened? I mean, that to me is the tragedy of these smaller papers and these papers designed to address certain things is that there's no record of what happened in these places. A hundred percent. And I loved, Nuvo was my first job. That's what I thought. I knew you were there. Yeah. And I remember like going through the archives and reading the stories about Chooch and it was just such a cool environment and a great atmosphere and a great place to cut my teeth and I couldn't agree more that yeah the real the real tragedy to me of the current media landscape is the disappearance of all these little niche groups and you can say all right they're they're not disappearing they're just morphing right it's a instead of a community newspaper it's a Facebook page for the neighborhood where we all complain about each other's lawns or something stupid, but it's not quite the same. Cause like you said, it's a part of the news is the writing the rough draft of history. I feel like there's something special. There's something magic about actually having a print copy of this is what happened today. This is what we knew the second that this piece of paper was printed out. And especially when it is on like the indie art and music scene, which Nuvo just excelled at covering, especially in its heyday of the 90s and early 2000s. Right. So to have the landscape change like that, it, it it's tough to see, definitely. Well, and, uh, you know, Chooch, when he graduated high school, uh, he enrolled at IU Bloomington with the hope of going into broadcasting. So I think in some small way he was really happy that i decided to do uh what i did at und what were your parent what was your parents reaction to uh you wanting to be a journalist when you when you told them (laughs) before i answer that i'll say having known you as a friend for nearly a decade now and getting to know your mom and your dad i i guarantee you he was happy with your decision to go into it oh yeah man so when i was in third grade uh, that's when my mom got sick yeah. And with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm. And I didn't know what it meant, but I knew it was bad when about a month after she got the diagnosis, she said, you and dad are going to church by yourselves today. I'm going to stay home because my parents were both very good Catholics. Um, I'm still very Catholic, raised in the church. So to know that she was not going to church, that's when I knew something was up. And I remember coming home from mass that Sunday, crying, and I said, mom, I'm gonna grow up and be president. And when I'm president, I'm gonna use all the money. I'm gonna make sure no one dies from Lou Gehrig's disease ever again. Mm. And that plan changed, obviously, but, I see that as an inciting moment, kind of burning into my core identity that knowing this belief that a single person can make a difference Mm. 
if they work hard and if they have a good team with them. And that combined with the high school paper and being on my speech and debate team in high school too is definitely what led me to journalism. So, you know, unfortunately mom passed away when I was in fourth grade, but I had dad still and he and I were very close. And when I, when I told him I was going to go into journalism, he was just fine with it. He, he loved it. I, you know, I was very fortunate to grow up with another family up here. I grew up with their three kids and their dad is now the assistant news director, uh, not at my station, but at one of the other stations. And I remember in second grade, we had career day and he came and he talked to us. And I love telling this story because one after the other, it was just, hi, kids, I'm an investment banker. Hi, kids, I am the vice president for marketing. You know, cool stuff, but just nothing I was into. Mm -hmm. And then Mr. B comes up and he says, kids, this is the story of the time I helped the South Bend Police Department break up a underground dog fighting ring that helped us catch drug dealers too. And this is the shiny golden trophy I won right. for helping them. And from then, like always in the back of my mind, that's a cool job. That's something I can do. So yeah, it's, I, I think I answered your question. <laughs> what, uh, what profession um, did your dad have? Yeah, so he worked for a company called Con Selmer. He worked for their Vincent Bach division, which assembles trumpets and saxophones. Okay. So he, he worked putting together trumpets and he loved it. He, it, it was a cool job. I got to work with him a couple summers in a different department, yeah. but to him, it wasn't a job. It was a, it was art. Yeah. And to see him bent over like the pumice tubs, which was something that you have to run the trumpets through so that they'll, the parts will go together, mm -hmm. you know, just covered in soot smelling like sweat and brass you can smell them from 40 feet away it was watching an artist at work and it was still amazing and i'll tell you i i have a lot of the things that he had with him the night he passed away and they still smell like he always did when he was at work and i cherish that mm -hmm. i have one of his key rings on my keys for my car and it smells like the brass and the sweat and just such a unique smell. And it just takes me back. It's like, he's right there with me again. Was he and... a musician himself, brother? <laughs> That's the funny thing. He yeah. never, he never played an instrument. Really? Okay. He, yeah. And he always thought about it, but he just never really had the time. Other hobbies he was into, but that was always so funny to me that he couldn't play a single instrument but he loved what he did and I think that's another lesson I really took away from him is that whatever you do do it right do it with passion there's another example of that I remember when I was in seventh grade I was starting to doubt like okay maybe third grade Michael didn't know what he was talking about wanting to be president so I told dad well I want to be a garbage man instead <laughs> he said Michael, be president, be a garbage man. I don't care what you do, just do it well. That's so right. Man. Always think of that, yeah. Well, and, you know, I've, um, 
picked up the pieces after a couple years of not having Cheech around. Yeah. And I just want to ask you, because um, it's hard for me to enjoy the things that I used to. I realize one of the reasons I liked Colts games and Pacer games is because I was with my dad. Um, right. Are there some things that you used to enjoy that you don't anymore? Because you really enjoyed being with your parents because of it, oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> definitely. Uh, I would say the biggest one is travel to certain spots. Yeah. We, especially dad and I, we would always go out to Gettysburg on Pennsylvania. Dad was a big Lincoln guy. He loved Abe Lincoln. And I got, everyone in my family loves history. So I got it from all of them, but especially with him for the Civil War. And in June of 2021, I took kind of like a month-long odyssey out east. I just got in my car and I just drove. I hit all the spots and I went to Gettysburg, kind of on the last end of it. And I remember feeling pretty good. And then I woke up one morning and I was like, I'm having a great time. Next year I should bring dad. And then I just stopped. And I realized I can't ever bring dad again. Yeah. And that was just, at that point, it had been about 10 months since he died. But that, that realization was like losing him all over again. And that's something for me that's gotten better with time. Yeah. Knowing that. I'm free to make new adventures with other people. Yeah. And when I'm there, I can say, I remember dad and I, we stopped at this diner. And the best one too is when it brings up a memory of mom. Cause sadly I don't have as many memories with her. Yeah. I can say, I remember we went to this visitor center and mom sat on that bench and she said, it's hotter than hell. And she looked <laughs> at me and said, don't tell your dad I swore in front of you. Cause I was like eight years old. <laughs> Okay, that's awesome. But another big thing that keeps me going is, you know, the little things, the knowledge that, well, the faith and the knowledge that they are still with me and I will see them face to face again someday. And I swear, so I just bought a new car uh, about a month ago. And that brought up- Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) Bronco Sport, I love it. But, you know, that brought up those feelings too. I took it on my first road trip by myself that weekend. I picked it up and I was very bummed. I was like, I will never be able to pick up dad and say, let's go for a ride in my new car. Mm-hmm. I'll never hear him say, you spent how much on this? And I'd say, well, it is pretty cool. There you go. Yeah. And then I'll never hear him say like, hey, don't forget, you're, you're going too fast. It's 30 through here. But at the same time, I do hear that in my voice and in his voice in my head. Yeah. You know, I'll be going 50 (laughs) through the city and I'll hear him be like, it's 30 through here. And I'll just out loud to my, I say like, thanks dad. I know. And the other end of that is like, no, I can't give him a ride. We can't go cruising, but I can pick up his brother. You know, I can pick up one of my uncles I can take my little cousins for a ride and we can talk about grandma who uh, passed away right before dad did. And we can make those new memories. 
so yeah it's it's something you learn to deal with in your own way i think and you figure out what works for you what doesn't and yeah it's a learning curve there's a real learning curve to grief that i've learned and no two griefs are alike i think that's the other big lesson i've learned through all of this did your dad get to see any of your success before he passed definitely yeah definitely definitely and that's one of the other things too though is knowing that i've got a long exciting career ahead of me and it is gonna suck that i can't call him and give him those little updates and that he won't see it in the way that you and i think of seeing it but again that's where my faith comes in and that he's experiencing experiencing it seeing it feeling it with me mom too there you go yeah what do you think he would say about your success to this point man (laughs) i think you know i'm not gonna sugarcoat it he (laughs) he would not have anything to compare it to i think (laughs) he'd be very proud once i'd explained it all to him (laughs) yeah because that's the funny thing right he and i would always joke with each other he's like oh you just write all day that's not not, that's not much and it's like no it's exhausting (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i'd I'd be like you know when i was a kid especially like what do you do i have no way to comprehend that and then that first summer out of high school that i worked with him i was like holy shit you've been doing this for 30 years it's like i can barely do this for 30 minutes so yeah, I, man. but I know he'd be proud. I know mom is too, because what keeps me going in my career and through life itself is just knowing that, you know, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's that old poem that I always go back to, knowing that I have, as I think we all do, right. a big role to play in making the world a better place. You know, so one of my best friends at work, his name is Jack, and he's just a hell of a reporter. He and I teamed up to cover, I'm not going to mention them by name because I don't want to, you know, waste any thought on them, but a right wing group that uh, their new tactic is targeting public libraries. Mm. Okay. I made the joke to my assignment editor. It's like, yep. You know, my great uncles stormed the beaches of Normandy to fight those Nazis, and uh, me and Jack are writing jokes about these losers at the library. And you know, we had a chuckle, but it really is, you know, my worldview that there's no small parts. It all serves a greater good if you're doing it with the right intentions. And my team and I go in every day with the right intentions, believing in what we do. Well, man, you know, um, I kind of felt a sense of duty uh, the last couple of years, even when I was in college, to learn what I did. And I and I recall your speech uh, when you were a senior at the <laughs> communication dinner, where you were you were <laughs> talking one of us. <laughs> you were talking to your dad directly, as I yeah. did in my speech, and he basically said, you know, he was a hardworking guy and gave everything he could so that you could go to school. Mm-hmm. And that you both were graduating uh, yeah. on Saturday, you know, <laughs> that, that you that you both were a part of it. And uh, I think the same thing with, with my dad, you know, uh, and I and I felt a duty to vote 
the way that I did and to advocate for the things I have because the relief that I saw that came over his face when he got Medicare, when he got social security, like people want to joke about this stuff, but it's life and death, man. And we're, we're on the brink of something possibly much better or something much worse. It seems that way in these times, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's the reminder too, that like we have so many of our neighbors, so many of us that really are, like you said, on the brink too. You look at just how few of us are able to afford to do anything other than live paycheck to paycheck. And it's not a political statement to say that doesn't make any sense that in the richest and most powerful nation in the history of human civilization, that is a reality. And I think of the sacrifice that your parents have made for you too. And it's obviously made you a better man. I didn't even begin to realize how lucky I was until I could sit back and say, damn, I had a better career than most people get. Oh, I know. Uh, I mean, I I was born on third base. Yeah. (laughs) Not realizing it, you know. And I I had that moment at my dad's funeral, too. I uh, mentioned to the priest that, you know, he and I were getting caught up because it had been a few years since I'd been home and talked with him. I told him, you know, Father, it occurs to me that I have the job I do because of a lot of a lot of bad guys and a lot of bad dads. I said, and it doesn't make sense to me that a guy like my dad, a guy like your dad, isn't in the paper more often for the good that they do. Yeah. The priest looked at me and he said, they're in the only paper that matters, the good book. And I think it's that, it is that sense of duty that, I do think of guys like your dad a lot, you know, the the hundreds of millions of good, honest people that just are just trying to make ends meet. And that's who I think of, obviously not all 24 right. seven, but when the going gets tough at work and when I feel like giving up and I feel like saying, screw it, I'm, I'll go back to selling aluminum siding at Menards. <laughs> I, I think of the people like that, that deserve to know what's going on and deserve to have someone who cares to hear their side of the story. Well, and just speaking on my experience, you know, having worked in the NFL and been around folks that are in world wrestling entertainment, I've been around some larger than life characters. You've been around a lot of larger than life. (laughs) uh, And I've been associated with folks that are (laughs) with powerful people, but yeah. um, in my 28 years, I haven't met a better person, a more skilled person than my dad. My dad was my hero. Uh, and I think if nothing else, this isolation has, has caused me to realize that all things are local. And when you look Mm -hmm. around, you need the folks that you grew up with to get to the next step. We don't realize that, but it, your, your world really does shrink when you lose a parent or something significant happens. And I can speak for myself. There's not a lot of stability in this world anymore. There really isn't. And I'll back you up. It's tough. And I you yeah. say your dad's one of my heroes too. I look at how oh. much he accomplished. And, and he was cool oh, too, right? You know, did awesome, things with dude. some soul, you know? I think so. of him, I, honest to God, I think about him at least once a week. I really do. Bless you, man. Bless you. <laughs> That's awesome. Hard working guy he was, but also what a talented musician. 
and just yeah. the impact that he made on people. I mean, yeah. Did that's, you make it to his celebration? It's such a whirlwind. I know. Yeah, you were there. That's what I was I there, definitely. Well, I, um, you know, I want to say too, just since we're documenting your story, it, it meant the world for you to be there. Um, yeah. And I don't forget that. So thank you, brother. Thank you for being there. I still think about <laughs> the care packages you sent me right after my dad died. Hey, and, you know, it's what I would do. So exactly. And it, yeah. yeah, no, it is the little things. It really is. It's that realization that, you know, we're a lot of times in life, we're squabbling over dumb, dumb little things. And it's when you have one of those earth shattering moments, the that sudden burst of trauma that puts a lot into perspective. And I think that's so helpful in the odd way to say we need moments like that to remind us what really matters. Um, to speak on your skill set and uh, what you're going to be doing moving forward, uh, you probably wear multiple hats at a smaller station. What are all the different roles that you do uh, as a news producer? Sure. Boy, a lot. <laughs> but it I wouldn't have it any other way. It keeps me busy. and I love it. I would say the biggest thing, obviously, is figuring out what we're going to cover each day. I love getting out in the community. I love connecting with everyone and see, finding out what's going on and, you know, getting that feedback from people, too, being like, well, why do you why do you run these dumb stories? And it's like, because they're not dumb to everyone, but I understand why you think that. <laughs> and but especially with. Boy, I'm trying to think between the writing and the coaching and the being coached and the cooking it's all just so fun cooking <laughs> yeah well that's one of the other things i love about my station is that we all are so talented and we all look out for each other and it's me and about three or four others who are really good cooks and really good bakers and we all take turns just randomly bringing in cookies or bringing in pie bringing in go. full meals <laughs> it's just well what's the occasion it's wednesday you know what's the occasion yesterday sucked here's cookies or tomorrow's gonna suck here's cookies yesterday was great here's yeah. pie and it's just knowing that when the chips are down we've got each other's backs so i i would say the biggest thing for me is kind of staying alert you know i, I had a job shadow last week and i was telling her there are a lot of jobs in life that you can sleepwalk through. Just go in, phone it in for a day, a week, a month, a year. No role in news can you do that. The people at home watching, they might not know a difference. People listening might not. But you will, and your team will. And you've got to do right by them. Because, again, when the chips are down and the world is ending you've got to know that you can count on each other yeah and how are we going to know if we can count on each other if oh, i'm not feeling it today you know i'm sleepy from the election i'll just do this and that you know, have you, you ever received it. um audience criticism that's that seems to be that seems to be part of the job is uh taking criticism from the public <laughs> oh of course yeah honestly we get better more positive comments than we do criticism which is great that's good but my old mentor when I was in radio, uh, Dave Keister, 
he had a saying that I, I think of all the time is like, you want the criticism because at right. the end of the day, that lets you know they care about the product. They care about what you're doing. Uh-huh. You want to hear back when you misspell the candidate's name. You want to be told, hey, you're, you're covering this story too much. What about all this other stuff going on? Uh, especially when I was in radio, I would love the calls where they're like, well, why aren't you covering this story that's happening down the in my neighborhood? And my answer would usually be, oh, because I didn't know that was happening. But thank you for letting me know. Are you willing to go on record and talk with me? Right. And that, of course, you know, I think people are always expecting you to to fight back if they come at you. So if you say, hey, you're right, you're really onto something. Can you help me be better? I mean, that that disarms them and they go from being like "Ooh, i'm gonna teach this jerk something to be like i like this guy yeah and that's uh you know winning people over so yeah an interview i heard with dana carvey he said that the entertainment business is emotionally violent you know that <laughs> you can be the highest of highs one day and then the lowest of lows i mean that um unemployment can do that to you in this business being being at a station one day and then because of cuts you're you're out i mean that that's another element of the instability of this business that i just can't stand have you dealt with that at all not that not at that level never the instability like that but i do know so well what it is with the emotional uh ups and downs zero to a hundred in a single second Back in August, our congresswoman was killed in a car crash. And we went wall-to-wall coverage the entire day, which turned out to definitely be the right choice. And I'm so thankful we've got a fantastic news director that guided us through that. And again, a fantastic team all around at every level that we knew what to do. We knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. You know, you look at, you know, reporter A, she gets nervous on camera. If it's this high stress, well, where can we put her? Have her call everyone on this list and get a comment, get them on air. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that is knowing that, again, like I said, we can rely on each other. And I remember that day so well. The, the, the biggest story that day was a chance of severe weather. And that was our number one concern. And then we get a phone call. Well, it starts with a press release that uh, is real mysterious, right? Right. We, all, all, all it says is three killed in a crash, more information to follow. 20 minutes later, we get a phone call from a friend of a friend of a friend who says, I'm hearing rumors X, Y, Z. And then I swear to God, all of us, three of us looked at each other at the same time and we were like, son of a bitch. That was Jackie Walorski. Hmm. And then we all put it two and two together and we just get it turned and we get out there in time. And again, our biggest concern, like I said, that day was weather. My biggest concern was getting dog food. And that was a day that was just suddenly we're all hands on deck going crazy and it was so funny to me, 10 minutes into it, thinking 15 minutes ago, I was just worried about if they're going to have Charlie's brand of dog food. And if not, how many stores I'm going to have to go to. Mm. And it really is that emotional ramp up. 
And I think the other side of that is checking in with yourself and knowing when you've had enough. I can't say how much I love my team because they all know what happened to dad and they all know he died in a car crash. Mm -hmm. 40 minutes into it, my boss, the news director, love the guy, hell of a man, just comes up to me, taps me on the shoulder and says, are you okay? And I looked at him and I said, I am for now, but I'm going to need to break down in about 30 minutes. Sure as can be, 30 minutes later, we're stable enough. And I turn to my executive producer and I'm like, I need a break. And I go to the stairwell. I snap like three pens in half. They're all still scattered <laughs> around the stairwell. And I just scream and I cry. 10 minutes later, I'm good. I'm back in the newsroom. I'm like, where do you need me? What do we need to do? And I'm back in it. And another staff member, she was a family friend of the congresswoman. And she had to have the same thing. And we all did. And as we're leaving that night, another good reporter friend of mine and I were hugging. And he looks at me and he says, if you would have told me five hours ago, I would be crying this much over this. I would have called you crazy. So it really is also checking in with yourself and knowing what it is. Because it is fun to laugh about when you go zero to 100, like Dana Carvey <laughs> said. Right. But there really is an emotional toll and you just got to be aware of it. What are the forms of self-care that work best for you? Sure. For me, it's definitely exercise, talking it out, being like, even moments when I just have to be like, this is crazy, right? Like right. looking at my friends in the newsroom and be like, this is nuts, right? I'm not the only one reacting like this, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you guys are seeing this shit, right? <laughs> and just not taking it super personally when things don't go great. When I started, I was very, like you are in any new position, it was very tense. I was like, it's gotta be perfect. If it's not perfect, they're gonna fucking fire me. I'm already be swearing this much, by the way. Hey, man, we'll go. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> but and now I'm like, oh, it was supposed to be a package about a a, a hundred year old cold case uh, solved from Terre Haute, but it was B roll of pizza being made. That's life. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Which well, really did happen, by the way. And I, and in the moment, I was furious, but now I'm on. Now six months later, I'm laughing. <laughs> You know, you've done a lot of things. You've done a multitude of different things uh, in media, including newspaper journalism, some radio, some TV. What do you still want to do, man? That's a great question. I think I'm you'd not... be great at a podcast, something similar to this, <laughs> doing one-on-one -on -one interviews, man. Oh, I appreciate yeah. that. I Honestly, that's the only thing I don't like about my current role is that I don't always get to get out and talk to people as much. And I think I would like to start doing that a little more i honestly just love what i do so much because there's so much of a coaching aspect too of being like you know it's it's, it's 2 p.m and the brand new reporter has had four stories fall through already mm -hmm. how do we a get something on air and then b what is the pep talk that i give her after we've gotten on air 
and then see what's the pep talk I give her tomorrow. Is it the tough love? Welcome to welcome to news kid. We've all been there. You're going to be fine. Or is right. it, okay, this is how we prevent that from happening next time. You know, oh God, all part and, of the stress, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and teaching them also to differentiate between the good stress and the bad stress and passing on those good coping habits. So where can folks follow you and keep up with what you're doing? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I am not much of a social media guy right now. Okay. I'm getting back into Facebook. Good for you. <laughs> I, yeah, no, for my, for my sanity. I do, I'm pretty, I post a lot on Instagram and my handle is just my name. And honestly, if you want to connect, add me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Okay. I, All business, I baby. I'm yeah. I'm I'm such a funny dummy. Which is a, a, a dumb Flanders word to say. But yeah, no, I I think that's mostly where I do a lot of stuff. And I'm just a very experimental guy and I really like to explore stuff. So those are my main ones. And if if new things do come, I'll say that's where you're going to find out about it. Awesome. <laughs> so that's what you're after. Yeah. All right. Uh, Michael, you're one of the best people I know. Uh, really an honor to uh, document your story and to, to have you on the show, man. Thanks for making some time to be here. Happy to be here, Jimmy. Folks, to check out this episode, you can see my website, jbkonair.com, or get the podcast anywhere by searching my initials J-B-K-O-N-A-I-R. Until next time, have a great day and a better tomorrow.